sometimes the greatest thing that we have is hope. When things are bad, it is often the only thing that we have. And at no point in the human experience is this more apparent than when we encounter death. Now, whether this is the loss of a loved one or us coming face to face with the inevitability of our own demise, when we come face to face with death, all we have is hope. Will we see our loved one again? Is our final breath the end of us? Is there hope? Well, the great Christian hope is that the grave is not the end. And we not only hope in this, we confess it. Every time we say the words of the Apostles' Creed, we acknowledge that we believe in the resurrection of the body. Now, we have gone on quite a journey with Abraham and Sarah. And in our passage for today, Sarah's journey has come to an end. And the response of Abraham to the death of his beloved wife not only shows us his trust in the promise of God, but also that he has a hope that death is in fact not the end. And so we come to this passage, and we're going to break it down into three points like we usually do, so that we can draw out the poignant truths that lie within this passage. So the first thing that we are going to see is that Abraham grieves. Now this is pretty obvious, but it's important for us to make this observation. Even though Abraham has faith, even though he has faith, he knows, he knows that it is important that he exhibit this in some way. He trusts in God. And we're going to see that he still has hope for something beyond this life. But yet, he still grieves. He hurts. He is experiencing pain and loss in this life. And secondly, Abraham desires a plot of land to bury Sarah. Now, because we aren't exactly familiar with the names and the places in this passage, we might miss how significant what Abraham is doing here is. This isn't just any plot of land. It is in the land of the promise. It is in the land that was promised to him and to his ancestors. And so this purchase of land here shows that Abraham believes the promise of God, and he believes that he will bring his descendants into this land. And finally, we see that Abraham does everything here above the board. Not only does Abraham desire this land to bury Sarah in, but he makes sure that everything about this transaction is legal and that it will be a plot of land that he can truly lay claim to, not only in the moment, but for all time. So as we are bringing this story of Sarah and Abraham to a close this week, I find it interesting how much ink is used to tell this story here. Without our understanding of the greater story, without our understanding of the promises of God, it would seem kind of out of place. Why is there so much detail about transactions to get a piece of land, specifically a cave, to bury someone in? But what we see here is how important the promise is and how important Sarah's role is in it. 
And so as we start looking at our first point this morning and we see the grieving of Abraham, there's something unique and interesting that we find in these words that are displayed here in, cha- in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 23. We have seen numerous genealogies in the book of Genesis telling us that people have died. And quite a few of them have also told us how old these people were when they died. But this is the first time, the first time that we see a woman named. And it's the only time in the entire Bible that we see the age of a woman given at her time of death. Now this is significant because it's driving home the point that we have been seeing as we've moved through the story of Abraham. The promise isn't just about Abraham. It is also about Sarah. Remember back to the two times that Abraham let Sarah go, that she was taken into the household of other men. What happened? God put a curse on those households until Sarah was returned to Abraham. And then also think back to when Ishmael was born. Abraham had a son. He had Ishmael. And it And it could have easily seemed that the promise of God was finally fulfilled. Who needs Sarah? But no, God was very clear. The promise was only to be fulfilled through Sarah. And so we see with this story and this statement about the death of Sarah that she was a righteous woman. And she she is to be an example of faith to us. And this would have been especially true to the original audience of Genesis. They would have been reading of their ancestors and they are grieving along with Abraham that that he has lost his wife and that the mother of Isaac has died. Abraham is the patriarch of their family and of their faith. And Sarah is the matriarch. And so the story of her death is important. It matters. And then we also see in the giving of her age at death, that she did live a full life. And even though she didn't give birth to Isaac until she was in her 90s, God blessed her with an extended life so that she could see her son Isaac come to adulthood. And we're also reminded that she and Abraham were husband and wife through thick and through thin for a very long time. And so Abraham is mourning for the loss of his wife, his long-term lifelong partner. And so we're going to see that Abraham has a hope of resurrection, but he still grieves. He still grieves. Now often I think as Christians, we struggle with properly grieving. I think it's hard for everyone, but I think we, we have a particular struggle. When we, when we shed tears at the loss of a loved one and we mourn their death, we think that somehow Doing too much of that is showing a lack of faith in God. That our struggling to to let go of someone is somehow showing a lack of of faith and trust that, that God has them and has taken hold of them. But the truth of the matter is that the tears of Abraham and your tears when you've died at the loss of a loved one show a great truth. It acknowledges that the world is broken And that the world is not as God intended it to be when he created it. The separation that we experience in death is a reminder of the curse. And we should grieve. We should be in pain because God did not intend his world to be like this. He did not intend for us to experience the pain of a loved one leaving us. 
And so when we cry, when we weep, we're not only grieving the loss of a loved one, we're grieving the brokenness of the world. We're grieving that sin has taken our world and twisted it. And so grieving, mourning is important. And as we mourn the loss of our loved ones, it shows that we have a deeper longing, that like Abraham, we are longing for a city that is in the distance. When we grieve, we're saying we have a greater hope because the hope we have here stinks. And so we're looking. We're looking to the hope of heaven. We're looking to the redemption of our bodies, the salvation of our souls. And so the weeping of Abraham lets us know that the pain experienced in death and the hope that God gives us of redemption is a desire that is universal. It transcends time. And even the heroes of the faith from old felt the same pain and desires that we do. And even in their despair, we can find hope for we know that just like us, they were looking for something beyond this life. They were looking for a hope beyond this world. And God provided it for them by faith in salvation through the promised Messiah, just as he has done for us. And so with that important truth established, we move on to more of this chapter and we see some details of the story that show us the faith and hope that Abraham has. He is, he is looking for a place to bury Sarah. And we've learned from the previous chapter that he's a sojourner. God has promised that his family will inherit a specific tract of land right there, but he has not yet taken possession of it. His family is to possess the land of Canaan. And while Abraham has been in the land for a time and he sojourns in it, he has never truly had ownership of any of it. As we have seen since Isaac has been born, he has received the promise of the child, but he hasn't received the promise of the, of the land. And yet, he still has hope that it will take place. Now, like I said when I was introducing the passage, we might read through this whole story and miss the big point because we don't know all the important details regarding people and places that are going on here. So I'm gonna simplify this as much as possible. I did it so I could understand it and hopefully it'll help you. Abraham wants to buy a spot to bury Sarah in the promised land. He's a nomad and he's wandering around with his people and his herds, but he wants a plot of land in the place that God has promised him. And the idea is that he wants to put a deposit down on the promised land. He so deeply, so deeply believes God that his ancestors will someday be in this land that he wants to place Sarah there. And ultimately, himself, he knows that this is not just a tomb for Sarah. He so deeply believes God that he wants the bones of his wife and his bones to be there because he trusts in the promise of God. He knows that he is an old man and that he will never take full possession of the land that God has promised, not in his lifetime. And so he wants a resting place that, will he, that he will be where he knows his family will be. And I think I probably tend to spend a little more time in cemeteries than most of you, probably more than the average person, 
But when I go to a cemetery for a funeral, I see many familiar last names on the tombstones. And so as I'm riding in with the funeral director, I kind of look at them and I see a lot of last names that I know. And I'll often think through, hmm, I wonder how they're related to so-and-so. Well, when I was younger, my grandfather was on the cemetery board in Lenox, and so I would often ride with him out there occasionally. I don't know what he was doing out there, but he would talk with somebody, and I would wander around, and I would find the burial plots of my grandparents on my dad's side. Now, in the adjacent plots, I discovered that my uncle was buried over here, and, and then there was an empty plot in there. Well, now my father is there. And in our transient society, we often find that people often buy burial plots in communities where they haven't lived in a very long time. You probably even know someone who's done this. They haven't lived anywhere near this place, but they are buying a burial plot in that cemetery for the future. And there's a sense that even though you're dead, you want to be home. You want to be around those that you love. And so we see this here. Abraham wanted Sarah to be where he knew their family would be. And this shows that Abraham has come full circle. He truly believes the promise of God. You know, at nearly every turn we looked at Abraham, we, we were thinking, does he really believe God or not? But now, towards the end of his life, he gets it. He gets it. He believes God, even for the promise that is far off, even the promise that he will not see with his own eyes. And essentially, he's putting the promised land on layaway. Even though he knows he will not be the one to make the final payment, he has bought an acre for his dream home, even though he won't even see the first brick be laid. And so as we read in the book of Hebrews, Abraham trusts the promise even though it is far off. This is what faith is. This is what faith is. And we see in this section of the text that Abraham is looking for this. And we also see, though, as he begins to try to get this land, he is well-respected among the people and he's looking to acquire some land here. They refer to him as a prince of God. In other words, they know that God is with him. They know this from the possessions that he has, the people that sojourn with him, but also I'm sure they've heard stories about Abraham, how he has been rescued by God's mighty hand, how he has rescued others. And so they understand that he's blessed by God, and they're, they're looking to do business with him. Now Abraham requests land, and he lets them know that he wants to pay full price. But there's some no negotiating to do here. And so that's where we're going to move on to our final point. We've seen that Abraham is grieving the loss of his wife and that in faith he desires to bury her in the promised land. And as the passage concludes, we find that he wants everything to be legal and done in good order as he acquires this property. Now, if we read through this negotiation section too fast, we might miss what's going on here. Because it seems like a lot of inconsequential details of the story, but the info that the author of Genesis has put here is important. 
As we look at verses 10 and 11 here, you might think this is a great opportunity. Woohoo! Free land! Who doesn't want free land? Seems like a good arrangement. And the person offering it to him says, hey, we're at the city gate. This is where business is done. I offer it to you in the presence of other people. It's yours, Abraham. You would think this would be an offer Abraham would jump on. But as we move on to the next section of verses, we see that Abraham refused the offer. And while doing so, he asks for the price. He, he wants to pay full price. And in the negotiation, we get a hint of what's actually going on. Uh, this maybe gives us a little hint into what the, the negotiation and bartering process was like in the ancient world, huh? Because the response of Ephron is, ah, take it. But what is 400 shekels between you and I? He's letting them know how much he values the land at. Now, we don't know exactly how much this would be. I, I, I looked around for a while to try and give you a good price in modern dollars, but we do know that it is an extremely high price because in the book of Jeremiah, there's a plot of land similar to this sold for 29 shekels of silver. Now, I'm guessing inflation, defla inflation and deflation happened in the ancient world. Still, 400 shekels, 29. He is asking for a ridiculous amount of money. And Abraham isn't even going to be using it. He's buying it to be a, essentially to be a cemetery. So Ephron doesn't come out and say, this is the price, pay me for sure. Instead, he floats it out there sort of casually, we're friends. What's 400 shekels between us? I'll give you for free. Why in the world would I accept your money? I mean, what does this huge amount of money mean between a rich man like you and a little guy like me? Now, you've probably been a part of a transaction like this before at some point in your life, and I actually thought back when I was reading this, I thought back to trading sports cards with my friends because I would study the price guides endlessly and knew what my cards were valued at. And when I would get together with my friends and people would want to trade, I would respond similar to Efron. What's a $10 Bo Jackson card between us? I'm not trading one of my favorite player, Mark Grace. I'm not trading one for one. It's not worth as much. So let, let's get this deal worked out. It's kind of the same thing. He knows what he wants. He's casually dropping a hint of what he wants, and it's a lot of money. He says he would give it away, but this 400 shekel comment lets us know that he's looking to profit because he knows that Abraham is very affluent. And so we see that Abraham doesn't care. He just wants a piece of the promised land. This isn't a sign that he's super wealthy and he can just drop anything on whatever he wants. It shows us that he is 100% committed to this and he is going to lay hold of a piece of the promised land legally at any cost. No one will come in after Abraham has died and say they own this cave and they have a right to it. It's all above the board. It's all done in front of witnesses, and he paid the price. And Abraham wants to do it right. And again, this shows us that he believes the promise of God at any cost. He wants the bones of Sarah and his bones to reside in the land that his family will possess. And so this is precisely what happens. As this chapter concludes, we find that Abraham takes legal claim to the cave in Machpelah, and he buries Sarah there. 
Now we are moving on from Genesis, as I said, for a while, and returning to Hebrews next week, but when we come back to Genesis and finish it out over time, we're going to find that this cave is referenced again. Abraham will be buried there. And you may remember at the end of the book of Genesis, Joseph, as he is dying, tells his sons, when we enter the promised land, bring my bones and bury them there. It keeps coming back to this plot of land. When Israel possesses the land, Joseph's bones are returned here. Now again, that seems rather odd to our modern sensibilities, right? But it's a sign of faith, and it's a sign in the trust in the promise of God. And as we read in Hebrews, these pillars of the faith were looking to a promise that was far off. They couldn't see it, but in their words and in their actions, they fully trusted that God was good to keep his promise to his people. And there's something else that we need to stop and consider before we find our application in this passage. Clearly, Abraham has a hope for the future. He is looking to that promise that is far off. This is more than just hoping in a better life for his descendants than he had. This is more than just believing that a land will someday belong to your children's children. Last week, we saw in the book of Hebrews that Abraham believed that God could resurrect Isaac from the dead if he would have sacrificed him. And so we know that he had a hope beyond this life. It's often said that there isn't much hope in the Old Testament and that the idea of the resurrection is a New Testament thing. But in stories like this, we see that the pillars of the faith had a hope beyond what they could see. They didn't burn their dead as many pagans have done throughout history. Instead, Abraham put the bones of his beloved in the ground, and he made sure that Sarah would remain in the land of the promise. He had hope beyond this life. He trusted in the promise of God. And so do we. And so do we. We trust in a hope beyond this life. We regularly stand in this place, and we confess the resurrection of the body. We have faith that God will be good to his promise to resurrect his people and bring us to our promised land, the new heavens and the new earth. And our trust is not in ourselves to do this, but we trust in the work of Jesus for us. We believe that in his life, death, resurrection, and ascension, we have a true and living hope that the curse no longer has the last word, but that Jesus has won victory over sin and death and hell for us. And so with this great hope in view, we come to this passage and look to see how we can apply it to our lives. Now this week, the first thing I want to challenge you with is to assess how tightly we cling to the things of this world. As we see in our lives on a regular basis, the world is broken, and it is vain to value temporary things in this life, is it not? We see that Abraham grieved the loss of Sarah as well he should And as well as we should grieve the losses in our lives. But Abraham had a greater hope. He had a hope in the promises of God. And it was hope that he was not going to see in his own lifetime. He trusted that the promise of the promised land was good enough, even though he wouldn't possess it himself, 
And so he looked to the promise of God beyond what he could see, and he let that be the source of his hope. And we can experience loss in so many ways in this life, but we must never lose sight of the promise that God has blessed us with. No matter the effects of the curse on us, we know that because God has blessed us with faith in the crucified and resurrected Christ, this world is not our home. We are looking to the new heavens. We are looking to the new earth. And Jesus has paid the ultimate price as the guarantee, as the deposit down, that we will possess it. His sacrificial death to satisfy the wrath of God for our sin pays the price for our sin. And his resurrection shows us that we too will receive the resurrection of our bodies. And we trust it by faith, even though it is far off. He's made the down payment. It is guaranteed. We will inherit his promised land. And secondly, Abraham's actions show us how to live with integrity. While Abraham is a pillar of the faith, often his, ang- uh, often his actions in the book of Genesis are shifty. They show a lack of faith in God. But in this story, toward the end of his life, as after he's learned his lessons, we see him not only acting in faith, but he transacts business above the board. He makes sure that he does everything with integrity. And in this, he shows these people who know that God is with him, how a servant of God should go about their lives. So whether it is a land transaction, a business deal, or just in how we treat our neighbors, we should always be mindful of who we represent. We are the people of God, and he calls us to live holy and sanctified lives. And this permeates into all areas of our lives. It would have been easy for Abraham to take the land for free, It was one day going to be his anyway, right? It would have been easy for him to act in a shifty way because he had the power to do it. Look at what he was able to do when he saved Lot. He had an army. He could have just taken this land if he wanted it. Instead, Abraham does everything in the proper way. And we should take this example to heart and desire to live in in integrity in all that we do and act in integrity as we transact business in the world. And so we come to the end of our look at the life of Abraham with the death and burial of Sarah today. And as we look back on it, it's my hope that you have come to a deeper appreciation for what it means to have faith, what it means to look to a promise that you can't see in front of you And that we'll learn from Abraham how to trust God more deeply. For this promise was not just for Abraham and Sarah. It's a promise to us. That he will be a God to us and to our children. And so may we live in faith as Abraham did. Hoping not in ourselves, but instead trusting in that promise of salvation that is far off that has been secured for us in the work of Jesus Christ for us. Amen.